Mini episode 1110 of the FDH Lounge is brought to you by Sportsology, delivering unconventional columns and webcasts about sports, TV, music, movies, and more. Follow them on the web at sportsology.com. The FDH Lounge. You want to schedule your life around it. A long time ago, on a gloomy, wet Cleveland spring night, two men stand alone amidst the late night drizzle. Their voices echo across the vacant station parking lot as they debate the merits of the great American radio show that have been missing for far too long. On that night, an idea was born. That idea became the FDH Lounge. Welcome to the FDH Lounge. Hello, everyone. Welcome to FDH Lounge mini episode number 1110. It is always a special occasion when you have three original FDH Lounge dignitaries back together as you have today. I, Rick Morris, Jason Jones, and Chris Galloway, the three of us are getting together to talk NFL Draft. The three of us usually get together to do a preview, as we're doing today, and a recap after the event uh, subsequently here. So, great to get them uh, back on the show here. Uh, Original dignitary, Chris Galloway, always a pleasure, my man. Thanks for being available. Hey, thanks for having me. It's always a pleasure. Love having you here, and also our esteemed senior editor at FDH, Jason Jones, all the way from the compound in Colorado. How you doing today, Jason? Oh, not too bad. Just uh, wrapped up a nice ham and Hasselbeck potato Easter dinner, so not bad. Son of a... There we go. All right. <laughs> we're all good. Okay, yeah, well, a little something almost <laughs> happened there, I guess, but, uh, but we're good, and we'll... Uh, We'll start this with, uh, and, and again, as I had mentioned to you guys off air, that, uh, of course, the show is based out of Cleveland and always has been, and I, I always try to be cognizant of the fact that, I mean, outside of being a punchline all these years, the, the Browns weren't really important enough nationally to merit a lot of coverage on our show. This year, I'm not really worrying about that as much because they're a huge story, and a lot of it dates back a year to this point in time because in our draft guide for 2018 in my lead story, I said that uh, as opposed to a certain player or group of players, I thought a year ago the Browns were the story of the draft. Picks at one and at four, two picks early in the second round. It was a chance to control the draft in a way that you don't generally see teams do. And John Dorsey getting off to a uh, start, uh, again, not to jinx things, but uh, almost sort of reminiscent of uh, 89-90 with uh, the Cowboys here as far as what they were able to reel in with the draft picks. So... I'm going to start on this note with Chris, advisedly so, because we've always been fond, from day one in 2007, we've always been fond of shoot comments about the dignitaries here on the show. So, Chris, I'm going to ask you about this with John Dorsey and your your thoughts on this. If, if you were, Chris, to, let's use the term, audit the Browns offseason here, the weights and measures of what the Browns have been able to do in the last 365 days, would it get your sticker of approval? I think it would. All very corny, and yes, um, <laughs> it would earn um, one of my now famous stickers, uh, Rick. Um, I like those stickers. Uh, I like them. <laughs> I mean, listen, he's taking a unit um, of the defensive line that we had a couple of holes, and he's now filled them. Um, you know, with with Sheldon Richardson and with Vernon on the end, opposite of Miles Garrett, both those guys should allow Miles Garrett a lot less pressure um, in terms of what he does best in terms of rushing the passer. 
So that in and of itself, by itself, was already a great start to the offseason. Um, putting aside the discussion of, of, of his personal history, obviously picking up uh, Kareem Hunt, making him available after the NFL is ruled for eight games, and I'm not going to talk about the personal stuff, but just looking at it from a football player standpoint, right. he added a top five running back to go with what you could argue is our other top five running back. He is top five, um, yes. And um, and so now suddenly um, our cup runneth over. Now, all that by itself would be considered a very, very good offseason for the Cleveland Browns. Um, and then, of course, to go and pull the, the OBJ rabbit out of the hat um, and to fulfill the wildest fantasies of Brown fans um, around the world. You know, folks were, were pining for it and hoping for it and, you know, trying to live vicariously through Jarvis Landry on the Internet, hoping that somehow OBJ would <laughs> be under their Christmas tree uh, as a presence and on Christmas morning. And lo and behold, John Dorsey got it done. And we all know that you just do not get arguably the best wide receiver in the league in his prime to come and play, uh, you know, you don't you don't snatch a guy like that up, period. It just doesn't happen. And to be able to do that and to pair him with Baker Mayfield, a guy who can swing it accurately down the field, um, what that is all going to do for this offense in terms of opening it up for the aforementioned Mr. Chubb, Mr. Hunt, Johnson, if he's still around, and of course David Njoku, who will now be uh, you know, punishing linebackers down the middle who can't keep up with him. Um, Landry uh, over the middle in the slot, uh, you know, I, will, I think you're going to see actually the, the biggest thing out of, of Callaway. I think Callaway would be a huge benefactor in this whole thing. Um, I just don't see anybody. I mean, the Browns right now in the early breakout are favored in all but three games right now in Vegas. Um, and and I think that's because of that offense. You look at that offense and you say, there's weapons every, everywhere, everywhere, at every level. And and now, if you're a defensive coordinator, how do you stop that? So from that standpoint, uh, John Dorsey has hit a grand slam. He has done the, um, I guess for Cleveland, he has done the opposite of Paul Bowen in the offseason. Very much. And... And, um, and and made the Browns instant contenders uh, in the AFC. They have, and again, very glad you mentioned, because I, I don't think it can be mentioned on this show enough. I mentioned it to Mike Harmon from Fox Sports a couple weeks ago, and he didn't exactly disagree with me about Nick Chubb being at least potentially a top five back in this league in his own right, based on what we saw from him last year. Uh, and let's not sleep on the uh, the front four also now with the additions of Vernon and Richardson. And you and I talked about this off-air, Chris, that those are guys in particular, when they're in the right system, when they're where they need to be up front in, in a proper 4-3 alignment, they can be very dangerous, and they will be used to their full benefit this year. Jason, I, I know for certain as I turn to you, it's not going to be a more pessimistic take from you than we heard from Chris. <laughs> I'm going to need to hear this story about these stickers. But we'll move on from that for a moment. Um, uh, look, uh, as a football fan, I have a 
tendency I'm sure both of you are very familiar with to err on the side of optimism. So this entire offseason, I've basically been the kid that, that wakes up on Christmas morning every day. Yeah. <laughs> what happened now? This is, this is unreal because, as you mentioned, you, you know, the, the show hails from Cleveland. It's uh, the city of origin and all of that. So it's always been a special focus for us on our own time. Never have I once in my adult life, I'm 40 now, have we had this. Nope. Where you can go into games and say, no, we have as much of a chance as everyone else does. Which is not something even half the teams in the league can say. So the Beckham thing, um, I've heard both sides of it, and I'm not trying to hear it. <laughs> I think that um, I think that him, where he was, frustration of just aging Eli not being able to get the ball out anymore. And on top of that, they were losing. So there's that. He comes to a team, arguably, he gives him the best quarterback he's ever had, the best defense he's ever had, the best running game he's ever had, and maybe, maybe, even the best offensive line he's ever had. So, all that's great, and I think Jarvis kind of keeps him on an even keel. Now, you guys mentioned Nick Chubb, and I did a breakdown just on my own time, uh, because I was kind of getting annoyed with the Barclays' clear favorite to win rookie of the year over Baker which I still, to this day, blame uh, the table about. But, long story short, if you look at every single game that Nick Chubb had, where he had more than, wait for it, 10 touches, that's it, 10 touches, he is actually 3% better than Barkley was in games that he had at least 10 touches. So, Chubb's absolutely in that top five conversation. Hunt will make for a heck of a punch in the middle of the season. And then you consider everything we still have. I say we, I'm we'll getting a little too excited here. Um, <laughs> what the Browns have. Um, and then you look at what what assets they still control. Yep. And, and they're in a lovely position. Um, we don't need to spend much time on the national media, you know, outside of ourselves. But, um, you know, it goes... Either way, depending on who you're listening to. Right. But my, my overall take on it is not since, what, 1994 or so has this team even been considered a playoff favorite. Right. So all of that, compared, and then you include the roster building, uh, which is another point I've been dying to make. Uh, there's tons of people out there who wanted um, Bradley Chubb to go right. opposite Garrett. Right. And I've been sort of railing against that because the, the genius of what happened on that front line, it really speaks to a bigger roster-building situation. Do I think that Vernon is ever going to be a 20-sack guy? Good grief, no. He doesn't need to be. Right. Garrett is the 15-plus, maybe he gets the 20-sacks a, a season kind of guy. And if you had Garrett and Chubb, Right about the same time, you're going to have the same salary problem. I don't think Vernon ever comes close to talking max dollars. And then the same thing with uh, Okajobi and Sheldon. Yeah. This whole front line is sustainable, which is nuts in today's NFL. Right. Um, you know, Beckham's probably going to get a big contract at some point. Sure. Jarvis is probably going to still have a significant contract. So there's going to be salary issues. Right. But from a roster-building standpoint, you got to take a step back and go, I think John might actually know what he's doing, 
and maybe, just maybe, invented a new blueprint for the NFL, which not a lot of fans know. That means you basically tank completely for like two or three years. But if you do that, he has created a way that you can bounce back quickly. So very impressive. I love what they're doing. Uh, and I've not been this excited for a football season ever, literally. Well, and it's funny, Jason, because Chris and I did a segment on this uh, back in uh, January, just sort of recapping the season. We, we called it sort of a review of a hard knock season. I felt we were justified in, in doing it because they'd been on hard knocks. So I felt we could indulge ourselves by doing a Brown segment. And I said to Chris, I said, the last, now granted, it was all downhill from there, the last season where I couldn't wait for opening day, like from the end of the previous season, was going into 1990. It was in the fall of 1990 that Chris and I met and became friends at the Harvard on the Hocken. So the entirety of our friendship, he has not known me to be greatly a- a- anticipating the start of the next season. I don't, I, I, don't count, I don't count the Bill Belichick mirage crap of 94-95. That team wasn't built the last. 02-03, it was still botch running the team, and he still wanted to go with barbecue sauce Holcomb over Tim Couch. Uh, 07-08... You know, I had some optimism, but, again, they, the Browns did what they did. They, they panicked when they had a bad year and fired Phil Savage, and it's been all downhill since then, uh, which to me is cause and effect. I've I never, remember those conversations. Well, yeah, I was very bitter about them firing Phil Savage and not giving him a chance to, to hire another coach. But, again, John Dorsey, the job he's done. And, and I will say this. I said to our, our friend and fellow FDH Lounge dignitary, Anthony Patron, who had the absolutely – insane take that, oh, Hugh Jackson deserves to come back in 2018 because he had nothing to work with last year. I said, it wasn't 0-16 bad, uh, uh, Anthony. There's been two of those since 1978. It wasn't 0-16 bad. But I said to him recently, you were right for all the wrong reasons because if everything hadn't happened exactly the way it was, it's the butterfly theory of history. Kill a butterfly and who knows what happens from there if you go back in time. It's the same thing. Like, we needed everything to be where it was going into 2018 yeah. for things to unfold as they were. So he was right, but for all the wrong reasons. But all that matters is that we're here now, and, and we made it. And, by the way, I separately got to live the OBJ moment with, with even a little more personal feeling just a couple of days ago as my man Steve Eiserman comes back to the Red Wings to run that team now. So the same kind of joyousness and we have been saved and... Yeah. It's funny you mentioned the the Stevie White situation because uh, you were not the first person that I saw, you know, mention that. Right. But you were the first person I thought of. (laughs) And the first first time I saw it, it was another friend of ours uh, that just posted something on social media. And I actually, like, sat back in my chair at work and went, oh, Rick is loving the hell out of this. Jason, congrats on both levels there. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. And Jason, it's safe to say, for anyone who knows me, I am the first person they thought of. I'm the first person that dozens of people thought of the other day when that happened. And yeah, I am I am back. And as I said to Chris, uh, we have seen the rebirth of Rick Morris, obnoxious Red Wings fan. And as far as I'm concerned, he's been away for far too long. But, uh, you know, it's great to feel that way about the Browns as well. And uh, I'm going to start with you, uh, Jason, here on the, the personnel side and looking at this draft. This is the thing where 
meat and potatoes, trenches, that's kind of what comes to mind when people are talking about the draft here. I mean, if, if, you, if you throw in offensive tackle as well, trenches on both sides of the ball, but defensive tackle, defensive end, uh, it is top-heavy. Uh, but but it, it has great depth as well. I mean, it, so it, it has the best of both worlds. You've got Joey Boza at the top and, and Quentin Williams and the, the guys like that, uh, Josh Allen and, and those guys, but you've also got the depth that comes from there. It looks like one of the greatest defensive line drafts of all time, and uh, to a lot of people, Jason, that's the sort of takeaway story position-wise. Yeah, no, it is. Um, however, I want to... I want to tread lightly a little bit here because if one were to just sort of do the typical nine to five casual fan thing and just sort of watch Sports Center, watch NFL Network, listen to the guys in the car on the way to and from work, you're going to get the impression that defensive tackle probably goes two, if not three rounds deep. Offensive tackle, the same thing. Guard um, is even deeper. Um, and the more I look at it, the more, you know, if you're not grabbing that position of, let's say, enthusiasm in this draft, if you're not picking that in the first 50 picks, you're not going to benefit from what is being talked about. Right. Um, now, I, there, I, I will sit there. I've got about three defensive tackles that I absolutely love outside of the top 50. Okay. But that's, that's, that's three out of, you know, another 20 that are there. Mm-hmm. Um. I think if you're looking at, you know, pass rush in general, um, yeah, at this point, anybody from the Bosa family lining up on the edge is probably a smart idea. Um, And then in addition to that, I absolutely love Josh Allen, but he might be the only purely 4-3 outside linebacker that I'm absolutely in love with. So, you know, be cautious. Yes, it is absolutely... um, a defensive tackle draft through the first six guys, a defensive end draft through the first eight guys. Offensive tackle is still pretty good, even though most of them are right tackles uh, into the fifth and sixth guy. And then there's a drop-off, and then there's still some guys out there like uh, Caleb McGarry that are very nice, but don't think you're going to turn them into a franchise left tackle. Uh, And guard is is deeper, but the starting point is later. Um, And there's about two or three centers in here that are absolutely that and Chris and looking at this uh, again it's uh, it's a fairly decent uh, wide receiver draft as well uh, I mean it doesn't stack up to 2014 but you know based on the 20 post 2014 standards it seems pretty good but uh, the trenches seem to be getting a lot of the attention here and uh, you know from a media perspective it's very interesting because I, I think we've reached that point now where nothing can sort of dampen the media enthusiasm for the NFL draft. I can remember a time, 
and it might have been, you know, even 10 or 15 years ago when there might be a little bit of dampened enthusiasm for the draft if it wasn't thought to be as high on skill position players. Running back, there's no franchise players projected. The quarterbacks are, you know, the, the two best ones are one-year starters, so there's question marks there. So from a media perspective, Chris, and looking at this, it almost seems to me like it shows you how bulletproof the NFL is, that they can go in there where the beef guys are the story of it and people seem to care just as much. Well, I think also, I think the proliferation of, of, of uh, the number of shows and the publications and the podcasts, I actually think fans are probably more educated yes. on some of the nuts and bolts of football than they were, you know, 20, 30 years ago. Totally where agree. Where you were really just focused on the flashy guys, and now people understand, like, boy, this is why you need a tackle. You see, this is why you. This is why your you know, your guards are so important. They're not throwaway. Your entire run game is predicated on your guard play. Um, people start have really started to understand. I think more so some of the nuance, and then that becomes sort of bulletproof in terms of the draft, where you can have the big uglies, as they used to call them, um, the guys that are that the, the league is sort of pushing as you know future stars and star, certainly stars in this draft. Um, and, you know, those positions are, are vitally important, and, and, and I think fans are finally, you know, recognizing it. So I'm saying it's not all about wide receivers. And really in a draft like this, I mean, I have seen more liking more of the tight ends in this draft than yes. I have the wide receivers. As oh, preach. <laughs> so, um, you know, there's a few guys at the top that I think are, I think there's a bunch of guys in this draft as wide receiver that could just be absolute busts that people think are going to be great. And I would, you know, and I would start with, um, you know, guys like, you know, Hakeem Butler at Iowa State. You know, you look at him and you go, "Yep, he's got, you know, he's got it all." Um, and Henry Cap is another one who'll probably go top fifteen, but that guy could be a total bust. I think AJ Brown is is counterpart could end up being a much better wide receiver long term in the league. Um, you know, and I gotta say, I think a guy like Andy Isabella is gonna be you know, he's gonna be another Edelman. Um, I'm not high on any of the Ohio State guys. Um, I mean, you know, you've got you've got some old anal well, Hunter Renfrew is like what, like forty two years old. Um, so I you know, I just I don't I'm not really enamored with the overall group of the uh, wide receivers this year. Um, although I think Kane Hill, uh, uh, and, or Neil uh, Harry there, or however you pronounce his name. Uh, Nikhil Harry. He, yeah, he could be something special, I think. Um, he's getting into those tight ends. And I gotta say, I'm even high on a guy like, um, you know, sort of getting into the Nuggets, you know, getting into that fourth, fifth round territory. Um, you know, a guy like Josh Oliver out of San Jose State. Mm-hmm. Um, he's got the size, the physicality, great hands. You know, no one's really talking about him. Um, and, uh, you know, they're all focused on the uh, on the two kids from Iowa, who I think probably realistically only one of them, and Hawkinson is going to be a star. Um, but, uh, you know, I think that, I think you can, if you need a tight end, this is a great draft. Go ahead and grab one. I, you know, when I look at the overall talent in this draft, I think it's really, it's, I think the smart teams are going to, are going to, Strike in rounds, you know, one and two, and possibly you know, round ones one and two and three, and then they're going to drop back into six and seven. I don't think there's a lot of great 
round four and five talent in this draft. I think there's guys that you can get in you know round six, seven that are going to be pretty comparable to rounds four and five. So I'm kind of interested to see what kind of strategy teams have in terms of moving up and moving down. Um, I think there's going to be a lot of that in this draft um, because the way that sort of I look at the way the talent uh, lays out. That might be the case. And again, yeah, as far as Iowa goes, Hawkinson and Fant, both of those guys. I don't know how Iowa ended up with uh, two franchise tight ends like that. But, yeah, you got them. You got Irv Smith Jr., who some people think could make it into the first round from Bama. This is one of these things. Uh, and, again, only only true draft nerds are going to understand where I'm going with this one. Uh, I'm going to put this out to you guys here. So, Jason, I took your challenge of doing uh, – I don't think I'd ever gone past the first round for a mock draft. But the draft uh, – that uh, I'm putting together, and again, everyone can check this out. Uh, uh, Pro Football Draftology 2019 available on the main page at fantasydrafthelp.com and the fdhlounge.com. Uh, so going 50 deep instead of just the, the top 32. So doing that, I had in there the chance to address Washington in the second round, and we all know there's nothing that Washington loves like unfinished products at wide receiver. I got them taking Paris Campbell. You can see that one a mile away, boys. Well, uh, the wide receivers that I always have fun with, uh-huh. for some reason, um, and yes, this is not 2014, yeah. um, I gotta go back and say what just one thing, while I absolutely loathe all of the media attention, acting like DK Metcalf is the next Megatron, <laughs> which is freaking laughable, Okay, the guy runs two routes, two and one of them he's going to be exposed on. <clears throat> he's David Boston big, so there's a problem there. Added mass limits flexibility, and flexibility is key for being yes. a, a, an elite wide receiver. So, Got, uh, gotta have the hips, Jason. Gotta have the hips. Yeah. And I have, uh, I have DK Metcalf going to the middle of the second round, where some people have him going as high as four. Okay. So, let's, there's that. Now, in today's football... I would love to think that everybody's looking for what essentially is uh, key Larry to, uh, in this time around. Uh, one of those guys you look at that's got the size, got the speed, he's durable, and he pretty much can run every route on the route tree. He can do underneath stuff, he can go deep stuff. So, yeah, that is great. You just don't find many of those anymore. Um, so, one guy I absolutely love, and it is boomer bust, let's be honest, it's Akeem Butler. Okay. Um, I just love the upside. Now, you get, with that, you're going to have to coach him up on drops and focus and all that stuff. But, man, when that guy is right, he's got a little A.J. Green and Randy Moss in him. So there's a part of me that says I would take that depending on the risk. Am I taking him in the 20s? Absolutely not. But, uh, you know, if a team likes someone in the middle of the road, is it drafting the middle of the second round? I would think nothing of grabbing him and hoping for the best. That being said, going back to the tight ends, uh, tight end is a lot like guard and safety, I think, where, yeah, you're going to see Hawkinson go super high. Yeah. You're going to see Fan probably go not that far behind him. And then, yeah, there's a good shot Irv comes in, Irv Smith from Alabama makes his way into the back end of the first round. But then, to Chris's point, you got the kid from San Diego State. You got a guy from Stanford. You got a guy from Kentucky. And actually, one of my favorite, 
might be, I can't even pronounce the guy's name. Um, I want to say it's San Diego State. Give me just a second here. Is it the kid from Georgia, uh, Isaac Nauta? No, but in a situation like Cleveland has, where you have your pass-catching tight end who, you know, lacks a great ability to block all that well, mm -hmm. if you go get Isaac Nauta, then that solves your problem. You basically get what you want from a guy like a Gronk or a Kelsey in two guys, which yeah. is an interesting idea. But, you know, the guy I'm talking about is uh, Waring from uh, San Diego State, 6'5", oh, yeah, okay. 250. Uh, really shined in the combine, much better in the drill than I thought he'd be. And he does have tape that shows him as a pretty solid blocker. Not great, but solid. Um, so, yeah, tight end. There's going to be a lot of people that are itching to get Hawkinson because he feels like the next complete tight end in the NFL. And let's be honest, those are few and far between. Um, Sant, I think, is another Njoku type. He's more exciting as a pass catcher. And Herb's a little small for my taste, but, you know, people like him. But I think tight end, safety, guard, uh, even linebacker to some secondary degree, yeah, you can do what Chris is talking about. You can get your guys, your elite guys up front in the first two rounds and then drop back. Find a way, you know, get more assets because the difference between the guys you're going to get between picks 50 and picks, you know, 100 aren't that much different from the guys you're going to get on day three. That's probably a very good point. One of the things I want to talk about, not because the talent level merits it, but because it's always a media story no matter what, because, again, it is the most important position by far in the NFL, that being quarterback, and so much of what we're talking about before with the Browns, obviously the first and most important piece of the puzzle is predicated on Baker Mayfield being a star, which he looks like right now. So if you get that one right, that lays the groundwork for everything else. That brings us to this year's draft, and it's one of these things where, and I'll start with you on this one, Chris, on, on the list of things that I am permanently cynical about, uh, that no, number one would be that federal spending will ever go down and not just be ever increasing. Another would be that, that, that Paul Dolan will ever make any kind of firm commitment to the Cleveland Indians. And another one would be, silly season will always elevate quarterbacks. That is a permanent feature. As you hear us every year, I don't know, Feathers, this might be the first year that we don't see a quarterback in the top ten. And I sit there every year and I go, you know what, these bozos will find a way to talk themselves into it. One of the most extreme examples of that is Kyler Murray, a guy who I'm not sure too many teams have in the top ten. He appears to be you know, bolted into first for Arizona because of Cliff Kingsbury. And, and again, high risk, high reward on that fella. I mean, I've seen comparisons to Steve Young, who, as I've said sort of tongue-in-cheek before, uh, is the greatest black quarterback of all time, basically. So, for uh, you know, I mean, he, he really is. If you're talking about it in terms of the style, it's Steve Young. So if, if Kyler Murray is Steve Young, he's worth the first pick and, and that much more. But that's a high uh, standard, as we know. So he has managed to work his way into that conversation. Dwayne Haskins actually seems to have slipped a little bit recently here because of mobility questions. And again, both he and Kyler Murray are one-year starters, and that is always a question mark for NFL teams. But what we've seen recently here, this boomlet, you can only call it that. I, I compare it to sort of what we see with the presidential candidates in Iowa, how there will be a boomlet around Mayor Pete or this or Beto O'Rourke or whatever. 
whatever. Uh, now we're seeing it for Daniel Jones. And that, oh my God, he might be like a poor man's Peyton Manning. When you look at his accuracy and his headiness and all that kind of stuff, there's a chance he could go sixth to the Giants. Drew Locke, who is a good quarterback and has some upside. But again, nobody was was penciling him in for that much a while ago here. There's talk of him possibly going to Denver at 10, uh, and, and certainly in the first round here. So, Chris, this is one of these things where nothing anybody says ahead of time, no amount of pessimism about how this year's quarterbacks are going to be graded, should ever be given an ounce of credence, because from that point to, to, to draft day, in between lies silly season, Chris, and people will talk themselves into believing whatever they want to believe. Well, that's right, and I, I can it's a it's a it's a stone cold lead pipe loss that there will be four quarterbacks in the top twenty. Yep. I mean and not and probably none of them really deserve to be. But they're gonna go. Um, and because it's a quarterback league and um, you know, desperate desperate teams do desperate things. I mean look you, you never want to reach for somebody in the draft, but if you're gonna reach for a player Really, the only one based on importance that you can justify reaching for is quarterback. Um, and so, I mean, you're right. It, it's, I think that we're going to see Murray, Haskins, Block, and Jones all go in the top 20. I wouldn't be shocked if it was all in the top 15. Wow. Um, I mean, I just, it, you know, teams need quarterbacks. And listen, we, we as Browns fans, as three Browns fans, first of all, it's bizarre that we're going into a draft barely even even looking at quarterback tape going, eh, doesn't matter. <laughs> that's right. I like <laughs> doesn't it. Doesn't matter. Don't care. Yep. Um, that's a really strange place to be. Um, but, uh, you know, it's for these teams that need them, you know, the Giants and Denver, you know, Flacco's not the long-term, you know, he's not the long-term answer there. I think there's other teams out there's there no that are going to think about, you know, making a move like Cincinnati. Um you know, Daniel, uh, Daniel Jones and his relationship with the Manning family and having those connections that he has, you know, you, I, I wouldn't be shocked if he, they, they grab him at six and just say, forget it, we're going to get our quarterback or we're not going to risk waiting until, until pick 17. Um, you know, I've seen people suggest they might even shock everybody and move up and take Kyler Murray number one. I don't believe that. That doesn't seem to be a very gentleman-type thing to do. Um, but you're right, it's silly season, quarterbacks are too important, and people will start to ignore their, you know, the negatives on these guys and only start to focus on the positives and hope and wish that one of them works out. There are a couple guys in here that I'm intrigued by, um, you know, long term. Um, I think it's interesting that the Browns, the only quarterback that they brought in and worked out was uh, Gardner uh, Minshew out of uh, Washington State. Um I don't think he's a starter per se in the league, you know, um, at least not initially, but he's the kind of guy that they might be interested in grabbing later in the draft as a, as a second stringer to Baker. Um, he certainly has shown a lot of uh, accuracy and, and talent uh, at Washington State. So I think keep an eye on him. I think the Browns are, are clearly interested in him if they can get him in the right spot. Um, and then another guy that I'm, I am kind of intrigued by is Will Greer. Um, I think he kind of gets passed over um, for, you know, some of the flash of a lot of these other guys and, you know, how he jumped around in his career from Florida to West Virginia. But, um, you know, I see a lot of things in him I do like. 
And uh, with, the, with the way the NFL is going, I think a guy like him actually might have a chance, if he gets in the right system with good coaching, um, to have a long career in the league. Um, some of these guys are just pure speculation. You know, we, you know, you're getting down to the Tyree Jackson of Buffalo. Um, there are some teams. I've read actually there are a couple teams that are looking at him in the second round. So you get into this crazy season. Um, you know, that's you know we're talking that's crazy. Uh, but you know, again, he's one of these guys where all the raw material that you start to salivate over, and. Um, you never know what they may do. Then you've got a guy like, you know, Kyle Shermer, who's, you know, his father's a coach of the Giants. You know, somebody might snatch, you know, grab him up in round six or something and hope they get a, you know, they get a uh, tenure backup out of that kid. Who knows? Might even be the Giants. Um, so, yeah, you're right. Uh, it's, it's silly season. It's all about quarterbacks. Um, I'll, I'll let you know, outside of the Murray thing, I mean, I haven't found the quarterback uh, um, insanity this year to be that bad compared to some years past. I think it's seen as a group that's a little thin, a lot of, you know, long, long-range prospects that people might want to bring in to try out. But, you know, everybody's waiting for 2020 and 2021 um, when some of these big college kids that are freshmen and sophomores will be coming out. Yeah, that'll be the case. But, but And you made a good point, too, as far as whether it be Kyle Shermer, whether it be uh, Gardner Minshew. Uh, again, from my perspective as a Browns fan, uh, I wouldn't fart at it if they were able to get themselves uh, a Don Strock for the next 10 or 15 years. I realize I'm dating myself with that reference. Google it, <laughs> Google it kids. Uh, you'll, you'll understand what I'm talking about there. But that that's a valuable piece to have because the Browns don't really have any depth of quarterback right now. And uh, God forbid anything happens to Baker, Baker, the touchdown maker. So not that a guy like that's going to help you year one anyways, but at least going forward, you know, it's a nice thing to have. If you can have somebody who could be a clipboard holder who can come in and, and give you something. And this is one of these things, Jason, where, you know, you look at quarterbacks and the tendency to, to, to squint and rationalize. We get this t- kind of a year, you know, my – my favorite rationalization of any kind is he'll learn to blank at the pro level. Ben Simmons will learn to shoot at the NBA level. Uh, Lamar Jackson will learn to pass at the NFL level. <laughs> Little easier said than done, buddy. And uh, there's a lot of rationalization going around with these quarterbacks this year, Jay. Yeah. A um, couple things real quick. Um, as far as the, uh, the lead in there, um, I think if Charlie Fry was the best quarterback in the draft, someone's finding a way to put him in the top five. Right. That's just how this goes. I agree. Um, the other real interesting thing, and this is going to sound a little homeristic, but if we're really honest with ourselves, looking at the dynamic of how the NFL has evolved over time, and you know, five years ago, let's say, um, you had to have 6'3", 220 in a cannon. Otherwise, what are you doing? Right. And something just jumps out at me, and maybe it's just my own bias. If Baker Mayfield doesn't happen, if Baker Mayfield doesn't go to the Browns and doesn't do well, are we even talking about Kyler Murray? Because before Baker Mayfield, six foot was the line. Yep. And maybe that's why the baseball thing was so prevalent, was everyone before Baker got drafted said, you'll never play in the NFL. Right. So just throwing that out there, a little Browns shimmer, if you will. But, You're right. Um, those... You are totally right. <laughs> well, and, 
thing with Kyler that concerns me is I get that he fits Cliff Kingsbury's system perfectly. The concern there is he actually can throw the ball. So my concern would be designing too much of him running uh, and what that could eventually do to his game. Right. Um, Haskins, let's be honest, I like him. Uh, he's a really good college quarterback. Uh, but he's, you know, he's stone feet. He's going to be a pocket-only passer. And if he can do that, he can stay upright, then maybe he'll be good. Uh, I think Drew Locke is fool's gold straight up. Um, he's one of those guys you look at and say, man, he has got a cannon. He can fire it in there. Yeah, but the guy can't put touch on something five yards out. Yep. So, Derek Anderson. Before. DA, baby. <laughs> exactly. Um, now, the interesting thing is, mentioned Daniel Jones, and I'm going to sort of slightly evolve the take a little bit. And what I think, and I'm not saying this for hyperbole, I would not be surprised at all if the New York Giants look at him as an Eli clone, specifically. Hmm. Temperament, size, arm strength, ability, everything just feels like, at the worst, a poor man's Eli Manning. At the high end, you know, good Eli. I don't think he'll ever be beat the Patriots Eli, but we'll see. Um, but then again, coming back to what you get out of those first four, and it kind of hurts my soul to not put Will Greer in that first round potential. Maybe he sneaks in because I really do like that kid. Um, but once you get past those guys, then you then it's like the receivers again. You're talking about what can you live with, what can't you live with. And you know, a colleague of mine asked recently, as a Browns fan, what quarterback are you interested in? <laughs> and I said, Trace McSorley, Rippin. <laughs> I mean, yeah. I'm looking at guys that are like fifth round on back right. because I'm specifically looking at guys that are going to come in to specifically be dedicated backups. Right. Um, and that's kind of what happens when you look at these quarterbacks outside the top 50. Once Will Greer goes off the board, Stidham goes off the board, I think what you're looking at is guys you can't put a lot of faith in that will eventually become a starting franchise quarterback because, Rick, to your point, you can't really teach accuracy in the NFL. You can't teach decision-making to some degree once you get to the NFL. And some of these guys have some things. I just don't think that they're they're as hyped as they should be. And when it comes to even the first round, yeah, I got Kyler Murray going number one, no questions asked. That's just how it is. After that, though, you know, I, in my mock, I think I, I don't even think I have another quarterback going to the top ten because I think these teams know that those guys will be there. And then you have the dynamic of Giants, uh, Redskins, Dolphins, all in that team area. And I think half of those teams I just mentioned are probably willing to suck this year in hopes that they can uh, get into the From Tua, and Lawrence sweepstakes. Yeah, I think that's what they're looking at a year from now. And uh, that's one of those things. i got to say, the man who taught me so much about the game of football and the limitations of the, of, of the quarterback position uh, in a dubious way was Derek Anderson. 
because uh, you get yeah. fooled. For those of us that have played backyard football, you know, I can't throw a 50-yard rope, but even I can throw a 15-yard slant. Certainly he can learn to do that. Uh, yeah, not so much. Uh, he'll, he'll never throw the 15-yard slant that I can, which is mind-boggling to think of, but uh, that's why uh, he was a short-lived starter once he got exposed on that end of things. Now, I got to say here that there was something where, uh, and Chris and I in looking at this, uh, Jason, uh, just in, in giving this a, a sober-minded, fair-minded kind of a thing here, we did feel like there might have been a little bit of an overlook here on the uh, the draft rankings here at offensive tackle. Joe Lowry, uh, an all-MAC, uh, first-team MAC uh, tackle oh, there. You guys go. Yeah, <laughs> I gotta tell you, you're with me on this one, Chris. Uh, that that guy is, uh, boy, he is a nice sleeper, is he not? Oh, he's a lunchtail guy, blue collar. He's gonna come in and work. I would agree. He sounded like Browns fans from 20 years ago. I think that uh, I think somebody's going to grab Joe Lowry, and I think they're going to make him a right tackle. He's not, you know, he played left at Ohio, but someone's going to bring him in. Someone's going to grab him. I think in round six or seven. Um, sure, hope it's and, us. And, 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 and well, and I can tell you the Browns have, have met with him and worked him out um, both at the Ohio Pro Day and at a private workout. So they have looked at it. Um, so we'll see. I mean, you know, he is, uh, you know, the interesting thing when we talk about our, our alma mater, I mean, there are a couple guys that I think are late ground possibilities there that teams have been meeting with. Um, and uh, Lowry, Joe Anderson, a guard, is another one that I think, you know, again, that anywhere from that fifth, sixth, seventh round area um, could, could go. Um, and, and, of course, a couple of like, guys like Happy White. Yeah. Um, I mean, I, the, the Patriots worked him out. I mean, there there's people checking out some of those guys. And, uh, you know, we'll see what happens on, 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 on draft day. More likely than not, you know, one or two of them get strapped in late and the, and the rest are, you know, they're going to be, um, uh, you know, free agents on the street signing with somebody. <laughs> A highly overlooked source of talent, Jason. <laughs> well, let, let, me, uh, let me be fair about this. Um, it wouldn't be an FDH draft show without at least some reference of some Ohio Bobcat player. That's right. That being said, though, you guys don't have the worst track record with that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you just look at some of these guys, some of these names, uh, and they're not, you know, they're not household names. Mike Mitchell. What's that? Mike Mitchell. He's had a good career. Mike Mitchell. Yeah. Um, TJ like, Carey, even. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then uh, Blair Brown, I think, had uh, had some moments recently. So uh, it's not it's not like homerism for homerism's sake. I mean, there's some to that. And hey, Dorsey does like to uh, really check every stone, as he says. So I wouldn't be shocked. Uh, I just don't expect him to, you know, go in the first two days. Yeah, I mean, no, uh, no, I, I agree. I don't think there's any Ohio player going in the first two days. There, there. I think anybody on that. Few guys that you know that, that are out there that got there getting looked at um, are you know like AJ Olette. I mean those they're all they're all safety guys. And yeah. um, you know it, 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 it's kind of like quarterbacks. It, you know like anything, it's just eye to the holder. You know somebody likes your your work ethic. You know I mean there's a guy you know you talk Mac a, a guy like Max Sharping he's gonna go. You know he's gonna go I like him a lot. Day. You know he might go he might he's just sneak into the third round. Um, uh, so you know it's uh, it's uh, you know he's he's a good prospect, and I will tell you, I mean just you know watching them, I mean 
there's not much daylight between him and Joe Lowry. So it's interesting that he gets a lot of hype, but Lowry doesn't. So um, I'm curious to see. We'll see. We'll, we'll find out, you know, later this week how how the league looks at him. As they used to Lowry's say interesting. on NBC, the more you know. It's <laughs> <laughs> why you bring up Sharping, because I'm looking at one particular list, not mine, but someone else's, has Sharping as the 10th best offensive tackle prospect. And if you're telling me you think that Ohio kids that close, and he, he may go late, late second day. Um, but if he's he's got size and and movement, there's a place for him. Yeah. Well, and I think Sharping is a guy that could play potentially left tackle. I don't think Lowry. I still think Lowry is the kind of guy that I could see in the league for you know six to ten years at right tackle. Um, potentially. And I, I think the Browns are working out a couple of those guys like him because um, Dorsey is not, you know, Hubbard is, you know, this is probably yeah. Hubbard's last year. They're going to, they want another right tackle. Um, and whether they, you know, it's, it's that 80 spot, they get a guy like just out of West Virginia to slide over there. Oh, that would be great. He is going to look, he's going to get a right tackle. Um, I, and I think he knows Hubbard is we're overpaying for a guy. The Browns are by we. The Browns are overpaying for a guy that's just not performing um, where they need him to be. Yeah, so I think definitely the Browns will be. They'll be getting the right tackle somewhere. Well, if you look at the draft this year specifically and how each individual breaks down, mm-hmm. Jonah Williams in little arms, but you know a tactician apparently. Uh, apparently he's impressing people with his preparation. So he's a left tackle, but is he Joe Thomas? Is he Jason Peters? No, not at all. But when you start looking at it, Juwan Taylor could go in the top ten, and he is a dedicated right tackle. So yep. a lot of these guys, and I mentioned earlier McGarry, you just mentioned uh, Kajus, who I would love. If you, you tell me that we can get, you know, Brown get the safety, that will be a starter, and they can get a right tackle like one of those gentlemen, I'm done. I'm good for the rest of the draft. Um, but, yeah, I think there's a lot of guys in here that you look at and go, they're an offensive tackle. As a left tackle, I'm not interested. As a right tackle, I might reach for him, actually, depending on who we're talking about. Sure. Uh-huh. It all depends, as no, I usual. I agree with that. I, I really, actually, I really agree with that. Yeah. Um, and, and I think if the Browns can get a guy like Thornhill at 49 uh, and then a guy like Kipchus at 80, I'm with Jason. I'm like, okay, the rest of this draft is just pure gravy. Let me see what you can come up with, you know, Dorsey. You know. But, by the way, in talking about this off-air, uh, I had uh, teased this here. And, uh, Jason, I'd like you to repeat what you said off-air here. Uh, I have tentatively uh, pick 49 in the draft, Jonathan Abrams, safety out of Mississippi State, going to the Browns in that spot. Take it away, Jason. (laughs) (laughs) They get Jonathan Abrams at 49. First of all, it's highway robbery. (laughs) Second Uh of all, that, yeah, they get Abrams, and I'm, I'm I'm probably a whole round ahead of Chris on the I'm good, everything is gravy from here on out. Um, yeah, that's my dream scenario is Jonathan Abram because he might be, I mean, he's not a complete safety. You're not going to want to play him at, at the three spot, but we don't need to worry about that. Yeah. Um, and I, I, he's just a, oh, he's a lay the wood kind of hitter. 
Um, and he's not a highlight hitter. He's trying to get you down. He's not trying to make some sensational sports center play. Um, so I love that about him. Um, I think he's a little bit more than your typical box safety. Uh, but, yeah, I, I, I was doing my mock, and I had a hard time having him still on the board in the 30s. So they get him at 49. That's remarkable. And if we combine that with Chris's take and they end up getting Jonathan Abram and they get uh, to juice, yeah, draft is a success. Well, that, that was a less colorful uh, rendition. I believe you said off here you'd run naked through the streets if they got him oh, at 49. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, would probably, I think I said something about doing a naked chick in the street. <laughs> That's what I was looking for. Yeah, uh, that's old school. Hey everyone, we're going streaking in the quad. That's right. (laughs) That's right. Not sure my neighbors will appreciate it, but you know. From an outstanding movie, and uh, and I had another one in a similar vein on for inspiration today uh, when I was doing my mock draft. I was watching Fist Fight for about the tenth time. So yeah, sometimes Fist Fight, old school, whatever, those things can motivate you as you're finishing a product. So as we are coming around here, full circle on this, uh, let's get to some notes we didn't get to from either of you guys. I'll start with you, Chris. Uh, anything that we didn't talk about yet that we should be talking about? Well, I just, you know, I wanted to point out a few. I just kind of tried to grab a few nuggets that I think people should be looking for on on, on day three. Um, and, and so maybe a couple of them sneaking into day two um, and just kind of running through them. Um, guys I like that I think, um, uh, you know, can play at, at the next level. Um, we already mentioned the appointment the uh, Mr. Joe Lowry from Ohio. But uh, uh-huh. David Long, quarter, cornerback out of uh, yep. Michigan, I like him. I think he's a guy that, you know, you get into that fourth round, uh, maybe third. Um, is a guy that, you know, could end up playing a long time. Uh, Michael Dogby, uh, out of Temple. Um, I really like him. Uh, you know, he's kind of like a fifth, sixth rounder, probably kind of guy. He's a little undersized, but man, I love his motor. Um, you know, you put him, he's a 280, and you put another 10 pounds on him. Um, really athletic, disruptor. And I gotta tell you, you know, you know me, I'm not a Buckeye homer, but I, I, Mike Weber really could be a very good pro with a long career. Um, he does, in my mind, sure, he does everything right in terms of running the football, catching the football. I really like him as a pro prospect, probably more so than, than others. Um, Andy Isabella, um, somehow I hope the Browns find a way to get him. Um, I want a kid, uh, I want a Cleveland kid uh, who, who I think is going to be the next Edelman and, uh, you know, who grew up in Mayfield. Um, that one just feels like it's going to be I really like the, uh, the edge rusher out of Old Dominion. Uh, oh, yes. Oh, oh shame is Zimini. I'm not sure how to pronounce this. I some of these guys, I'm like, I, you know, I'm watching film and I'm looking at YouTube tape and all that going, I can't, I can't pronounce your name, but I, I really like what you're doing. Uh-huh. Um, uh, Terrell Hanks, uh, linebacker out of New Mexico State. There's a guy, I think he's another kind of like fifth, sixth round Avery sort of diamond in the rough guy like our Avery was for the Browns last year. Um, so keep an eye on him. And then, um, you know, I already mentioned, just looking at my list, I already mentioned uh, Josh Oliver, tight end out of San Jose State, I really like. 
Um, and of course, Will Greer, Will Greer, I mentioned. I did want to throw out one question to you guys because we didn't talk about him. Yeah. And that is uh, Jeffrey Simmons. And what do you Ooh. think? Where do you think he's going to end up going with? Uh, you know, not only the personal history, but the, the injury. Teams know he's a top ten talent. Are they willing to do uh, the, what the Cowboys did with uh, strip the kid out of Notre Dame and just be like, well, we're just going to basically, you know, we're going to redshirt him a year on injury, and, and, and we know that going into next year, we're going to get we're going to get a legitimate top ten defensive well, tackle. You think anybody grabs him? You Chris, know, even mid, I'll, I'll tell you this round? from from the mocks. No, from the mock drafts, Jason's got him going forty eight to Miami. I got him going thirty four to Indy. So neither one of us has got him first round. <laughs> yeah, I was waiting for that because um, I know there's a lot of Browns fans that are just fingers crossed and whatnot. But I, you know, if he's healthy and we look past all the personal stuff, he's probably a top ten talent, and he's probably the second best defensive tackle in this draft. Right. So somebody is going to get a steal because there's no way in this modern NFL he he lasts he he goes where he should. Right. With you know the the player conduct policies and all that, he'll get punished essentially by sliding, and somebody will get him somewhere between I would guess twenty and forty. Right. Um, I was trying real hard to make him fall to the Browns, but then when you look at where I had him go, there's just no way. There's no way he makes it to forty nine. Um, so it's interesting. Um, and if I may just transition real quickly. Yeah. Um, what I like. Mostly that you know, not everyone's going to get into, um, which is why they're going to tune into a show like this. Is what happens after the first round, or from say twenty five on, right. uh, in that next, you know, the next seventy five picks. Yep. And what what I find remarkably intriguing, and Chris mentioned O'Shane, and in that same vein. I kind of have uh, Jalen Ferguson from Louisiana Tech in that same grouping with O'Shane. Okay. Um, they're, they're different players. O'Shane, I think, really I, could be a great 3-4 outside linebacker. And I think Jalen Ferguson is a straight-up hand-the-dirt kind of pass rusher. Uh, but when you look around beyond the first round and then beyond those guys, because those, those are the guys that you're looking at that are most likely going to have the kind of career that says they should have been a first-round pick and just barely weren't. Um, but you've got other guys in that mix, in, in inside linebacker, outside linebacker, uh, especially if you subscribe to this new NFL idea that you can get an outside linebacker in a 4-3 scheme that is by and large undersized. Six foot to six two, uh, no heavier than 240. There's some guys in here that are very intriguing. Uh, Vashon, I'm drawing like the, at the Vashon Johnson or Jack, something like that, from uh, Florida. Yeah. He looks like a safety. But maybe I like watching him play. The other uh, big, big thing in this draft, especially if you're a team that can't afford to go corner early, mm-hmm. never fear, because this corner draft might be the best part, especially if you are looking outside of the top 20. Right. Um, I know people are in love with Greedy Williams. I'm not in love with his consistency. Byron Murphy's legit. Uh, DeAndre Baker doesn't have the measurables that you hope for, 
but has the production that you hope for. And after that, when you're talking second round on, just just follow me on this. Rocky Sin, Justin Lane, Justin Love, Amani, I'm not going to start to pronounce that, from Penn State, uh, Chauncey Gardner-Johnson, who can play both safety and corner, probably a slot corner, if anything. Um, let me see here. We got Juwan, Joe Juan Williams. Um, Trayvon Mullen from Clemson. I even like uh, the, oh, the other guy from Clemson. Oh, I'm sorry, I'm right. Um, anyway, there's a guy that's probably going to go in the fourth round or so. Okay. Also from Clemson. Um, you know, six foot, two fifteen, can tackle, but can also cover. But you know, not a guy you're going to take super high. Right. Um, Lonnie Johnson from Kentucky. There have been some reports getting leaked out take that with a grain of salt for what it's worth they have Lonnie Johnson at 6'2", 215 from Kentucky as the best cover corner in the draft I don't know if I buy that but I'll take him uh, if the position is right uh, and Amon Marshall Browns are high on him I'll tell you that oh I hope so because I, I would love to get him in a heartbeat uh, Amon Marshall from um, USG he didn't run well at the combine but he's one of those guys I'm just going to rely on the tape but I think if you need a corner, you don't have to pick one in the first 50. You, right. you can wait and still get a guy that projects to be a starter. Now, is he CB1? Probably not. But Which is great for teams like you know a, a Cleveland Browns that have their perceived number one and just need someone better than who they have opposite him. And they can absolutely get him somewhere in the second or third round. So, you know, we've covered a lot. Quarterback's underwhelming. Wide receiver, depending on what you're looking for, can be underwhelming. Tight end is top-heavy and so on. But, man, tackle, guard, center, defensive tackle, defensive end, outside linebacker, safety. I think you can still get solid contributing starters into uh, picks that start with a one and have more than one number. Well, yeah, very good points. a lot of that. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and as far as and it goes, I, and I would also, and I would predict that Rocky Sin and both Chauncey Gardner Johnson don't be shocked if they both end up in the first round. Yep, a lot you know, of that's that's the funny thing about this. I would not be. I'd be surprised. I wouldn't be shocked. A lot of mocks are showing it. A lot of mocks are showing that they could. And uh, what you said about cornerback, uh, Jason, just just to peel back the curtain again. Uh, the, the positional rankings in the draft guide, the top 200, that's all you. The lion's share of the stuff in the guide is you. One of the things that I like to do is strengthen the draft by position. I like to go through and do the assessment uh, on that, and that's why I have cornerback as just being very good. I don't have it as being great because what, what separates the defensive line positions is you have guys that you can take up high, and then you have the depth later. At cornerback, it's exactly like you said. The, the, the value isn't up high. But the depth is tremendous of it. You know, you mentioned about Greedy Williams a couple of years ago. Uh, they had uh, Ego Ferguson who graduated from there. On a similar note, I'd like to commend LSU for their recent signing of five-star recruit Sloth Jefferson. I look forward to great things from him in the years to come here uh, for uh, LSU as well. But anyways, uh, I want to thank both of you guys for uh, for joining the, uh, the program here. Uh, this preview... Outstanding as per always. Uh, knew that it would be. Uh, hope to be able to convene with the both of you uh, afterwards for another tradition of ours and break the thing down and see how it went. So, again, a lot of fun, a lot of great stuff as per always. Chris, thank you so much for being a part of this, my man. Hey, thank you. Anytime. I, I always enjoy these shows. 
Thank you. I, we always enjoy doing it with you. And uh, Jason, uh, same to you. The uh, the big kahuna of our draft coverage with, uh, again, the, the rankings and the uh, the top 200 board and a mock draft along with mine and all of the heavy lifting in the draft guide that is yours, Jason. Great stuff and great stuff here in the taping tonight. I uh, appreciate it. Always, uh, always a pleasure. It's something I look forward to. Um, just uh, it's a little weird this time around. Yeah, <laughs> we're not talking about being excited up front, and that's uh, that's interesting. Yeah, um, but I think that makes, um, as Chris alluded to earlier, uh, people are becoming more educated. Whether that has to do with the frequency of stuff, but um, yeah, I mean this, this draft uh, for even the casual fan will probably be fun and entertaining uh, through at least the first three rounds. Well, I think I can bring it full circle by saying this and something I think we can all agree upon. For everybody out there in the other 31 NFL cities and fans elsewhere, having a strong personal stake in the first round, it's highly overrated, people. It's highly <laughs> overrated. A little bit of detachment. This, this detachment that we feel, to me, is so much better than the anticipation of years past because of what it means and what it means going forward. So, uh on the other side of this thing, once the, once the picks are all in, as I say, we'll hopefully get the three of us back together and break it all down again. In the meantime, everybody, thank you for having joined us for FDH Lounge Mini episode number 1110. As we bring the show to a close, we would like to extend our deepest gratitude to NBC, CBS, ABC, Fox, All Clear Channel affiliates, TNT, TBS, USA, UPN, Deadspin.com, YouTube.com, YTMND.com, MySpace.com, various blogs, Fox News, CNN, CNBC, MSNBC, IamBoard.com, Billboard.com, Google.com, ESPN, ESPN2, ESPN News, ESPN Classic, NBA TV, NFL Network, Sports Time Ohio, Athlon Magazine, Comedy Central, Cartoon Network, The Boomerang Channel, QVC, BET, The Spice Channel, Steno Notebooks, Manwich, Papermate Office Supplies, Waitresses, Strippers, Bartenders, Garbage Men, Janitors, Microwave Popcorn, The Writers of The Office, Scrubs, Entourage, My Name is Earl, Oz, Metalocalypse, and The Boondocks, Aquafina, and The Periodic Table of Elements. 